and that got me all emotional over here. I was like, wow, that's, that's really well put together. And uh, it allowed me to relive uh, the power of that moment and to look at what God is doing in the life of the Renaissance Church. And certainly very appreciative to um, Brother Doug Crozier for his tremendous wisdom and for his tenacity to bring churches to a new level and to allow us to experience uh, this explosive moment in the life of the Renaissance Church. I'm excited about what Solomon Foundation is doing. Admittedly, I met Solomon with some skepticism because I had never heard of anything like it that would be able to push a church to the next level of its, of its existence. But we are really excited at Renaissance about what the Lord is doing, and we have already experienced a tremendous amount of growth, and we have already experienced a, a tremendous amount of impact that's allowing us to reach people that we could not reach before. So I want to say that I appreciate not just the Solomon Foundation, but specifically, I really appreciate Doug Crozier being a visionary. And visionaries are very important because they are able to often see first what others can embrace. And I thank God for what Doug Crozier has been able to do with the Solomon Foundation. I often say about great men that great periods of time are marked by great men. In the antediluvian period of biblical study, Jesus refers to that as the days of Noah, when the preparatory aspect of the kingdom comes into play. The Bible says in those days came John the Baptist. Those who are students of the civil rights movement could not effectively speak about the civil rights movement and not talk about the days of Martin Luther King Jr. One cannot effectively speak about the restoration movement as it relates to the African-American culture and not speak about the days of Marshall Keeble. But I'm also grateful that in the days where churches are experiencing new beginnings that are experiencing impact and experiencing new levels of going to places that they've never been before, I'm glad I'm living in the days of a Doug Crozier. And so I say thank you to Doug for just being a blessing to, um, to the kingdom of God. I'm grateful to have those here who I am familiar with. It's good to see Brandon Mims here, who has been a tremendous, tremendous blessing to the kingdom of God. Grateful for what the Lord is doing with him and what the Lord is doing uh, through him. It's good to see my friend Chris Turner uh, here as well and others that I'm familiar with. I do want to acknowledge my brother-in-law is here. Uh, Willie Frank Washington uh, is here. Where are you? I thought I saw you. There he goes. Uh, that's my brother-in-law, and uh, just appreciate seeing him. I don't get to see him as often, but looks like Solomon calls the reunion, uh, and I'm appreciative of that as well. I'm thankful to Russell uh, Johnson, who has been a blessing to Renaissance as well. I call him the theological fortune cookie because he always has a saying or something that he, uh, I can't keep up with all of them except my favorite is if you can't park them, uh, y'all can probably finish it, you can't pew them. And uh, it's one, one of my favorites and he just has a million of those things. And I thank God for him. And then the people I've been able to gain a relationship with like Don Wilson, 
and others. I'm just really appreciative of being part of the Solomon Foundation. On today, I want to uh, fulfill my assignment, which is to uh, speak to you from the subject, New Level Ministry for Next Level Impact. Uh, I believe wholeheartedly in, in looking at our context and how God has blessed us. I've got to see a lot of different things in regards to people going to the next level. And I don't want this subject to throw you off. When we say next level ministry for a new level impact, it's not that, you, that I'm introducing something to you new uh, per se, except to say, I believe if you're going to go to the next level and if you're going to have new level impact, I believe we have to embrace some old concepts, some old biblical concepts that I think hold true. I believe methods change, but principles remain consistent. And you have to be the kind of church that understands that methodology goes through moments of shifting. And if you become married to a methodology, you can be guilty of treating methods as if they're doctrine. And it's important to understand the difference between methods and doctrine. Doctrine remains consistent, but methods will go through consistent moments of change. And often churches can become dinosaur-like or they become caveman-like because they are not able to change methods. Um, I've learned that when you get married to a method, it can leave you in a position of stagnation. And there are so many churches that can't move forward because they get so caught up in, in limiting themselves in a box. And I've always said that you have to be careful about trying to place God in your box of limitations. God can do mighty things if we're able to think outside of the box. So it's important to remain theologically consistent, but at the same time, I have the mindset that I can change methodology. Now, that being the case, I really believe that one of the fundamental things that churches need to do if they're going to go to the next level is they need to embrace some divine principles that I think hold true for church growth. Now, that being true, um, I think is really dangerous as churches begin to move forward that they miss divine principles. Some churches spend a lot of time trying to be like other churches. In other words, you think that there is some magic formula to church growth, that if everybody does this one formula, it's going to work. I actually believe differently. I believe churches need to have the room to be its own personality, but everybody needs to have divine principles that work across the board. So in other words, if we're going to be effective in church growth and development, there are principles that we must maintain, but we have to leave room that every congregation has the right and the prerogative to be different from another congregation, and you don't want to make the mistake of thinking, if I embrace that method, that that method is going to work for my church culture. So we don't want to start thinking that all methods work for all church cultures. You'll run into that problem of finding out that if I embrace this thing and I bring it over here, there's no guarantee that thing is going to work for this congregation. However, what I look for is what principles are working in other congregations. What divine principles are they using that I can implement that I believe I can massage and shape to work in my cultural context, if that makes sense? You can't try to be a person who mimics everything you see. Rather, look deeper into the thing being done and see what is the principle I can extrapolate that can work in my context. So what I believe wholeheartedly is that um, a kingdom concept is really important for a church to embrace if it's going to... Um, move forward into growth. Uh, I have uh, seen a great many concepts that are biblical, that are true, uh, but just one principle that I think is important for a congregation to embrace and for members to embrace is a kingdom concept. I think if a church can embrace the kingdom concept, inherent in the kingdom concept is the notion of growth. 
uh, and I'll prove that in just a moment. Uh, when we use the word kingdom without getting overly caught up in Greek etymology and Hebrew terms, uh, the idea of kingdom, if I was to syllabicate the word kingdom, the word king always suggests one who is a sovereign ruler and dome being an abbreviated form of domain which suggests territory. So when we're speaking about the notion of kingdom, we can look at it from two perspectives. One is that we're trying to bring people under the sovereignty of a king. But the other thing is that the word dome or domain suggests territory. I don't know of any king that doesn't want to expand territory. And I think every member of the church, everyone that is a part of the church, needs to embrace the notion and the mindset that our king, Christ Jesus, is looking to expand more territory. If we can embrace that principle, then we will start to learn that in whatever we're doing, we have to undergird it with a kingdom concept. And the kingdom concept is, is what I'm doing helping to spread the territory for King Jesus? If that's true, then that means whatever we are doing in the church, we don't want to divorce it from a kingdom concept. So I have found that one of the things that happened at West End when I first got there is they didn't have a lot of programs. So I thought in my ignorance that if I could add more programs that we could become more relevant. And we became very programmatic. So it was just a lot of programs on top of programs on top of programs and events upon events upon events. And what I learned was that many of the people that were in the congregation were working, but they were divorcing their work from a kingdom concept, which means it wasn't about spreading the territory. We were busy, but we were not busy or product. We were not busy in the sense of being productive. I believe a church can be busy and spiritually unproductive. So you can be very busy. You're doing a lot, but it's not necessarily purpose driven. And if what you're doing is not purpose driven, while its activity is not necessarily helping the spread of the kingdom of God. So we were doing a lot of programs and we thought because we were programmatic, we were doing the will of God only to find out that we were busy, but it wasn't helping growth. It just got members involved. But the, the programs we were doing were not necessarily spreading the borders of the kingdom of God. So now that we've moved into Renaissance, what I have done and what I've implemented was making sure that whatever program we implement, it has a kingdom concept attached to it. I want to know if you're going to implement this program, how is that program going to help spread the territory of the kingdom? How is it helping people come under the sovereignty of Jesus Christ? Otherwise, we are reducing the church to being nothing more than a secular programmatic activity and what makes us different from anybody else. Now we have this big old NBA-sized gymnasium. What I want to know is what's going to make this gymnasium any different from the one that's used at the YMCA? Because if all we have is a gymnasium and all we're going to do is play basketball in it, I need to know how is this translate into how it's going to help us to spread the borders of the kingdom of God. Otherwise, we're not doing anything different from any secular organization. I need to know how did this program fit a kingdom concept? And if it doesn't do that, then as far as I'm concerned, we start to miss the ball as it relates to being uh, the Lord's church. And so I think that's important for us to be mindful of is to embrace the sovereign, the sovereign ruler, Jesus Christ, and his intentions to spread the domain of his territory. The danger of, of churches that don't understand the kingdom perspective is I believe they become void of purpose. So once again, we get to this place where there's a lot of activity, but there's no, there's no real divine purpose attached to it. I think it also becomes vulnerable to stagnation where you're dependent on ideas and fresh concepts. 
So here's what I mean by that. I think what we end up doing sometimes is we end up trying to be cutting edge with ideas and programs, which I think it's fine. But I think at the end of the day, if all we're looking for is the new idea and the fresh concept uh, separated and divorced from a kingdom concept, then what we end up doing is we end up getting stagnant. We're always looking for this next thing to hook people into something. I don't believe our job is to bait people into Christ. I think the gospel of Jesus Christ is quite attractive when presented properly. And I think what happens is we end up getting to this place where we think the gospel needs to be hidden and we think we need to do something else to attract people. I don't want to hide the message of the gospel. And I think it is unfortunate when people think you got to hook people into coming to your church rather than presenting the beauty of the message. I think the beauty of the idea that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, it can be very attractive. I think the notion that Jesus is my righteousness is very attractive. I think the notion that God is my eternal life is quite attractive. Why hide that message? So I don't think we need to try to hide the message by coming up with fresh, cutting-edge ideas and programs and divorce it from what makes us who we are. What makes us who we are is, in fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think if we leave that message, then we're going to find ourselves reducing ourselves to something that is not comparable to a biblical concept. I think also we easily lose focus. Everything becomes major problems. Minors become majors. When you divorce what you're doing from a kingdom concept, I have found that people argue over everything. Um, I think when you keep people unfocused on what is important relative to, God, to the gospel and the kingdom, people become, they argue over everything. I had to remind people with, these building, with the building we built that really the pew color doesn't matter as much to me and the, and, and the chairs... The chairs, I want them to be comfortable, but that's really not the big deal. I'm really excited about the, the paint on the walls, but I'm really not that excited about the paint on the walls. Like, I need, I need you all to recognize what's the big picture. I think people got into the ambiance of the building rather than the functionality of what it's going to do for kingdom business. And that became dangerous for us. Everybody was into the ambiance. Everybody was into the furniture, and everybody was into all of the all of the, uh, uh, all of the aesthetics, and everybody was getting all caught up in the beauty of the building. And I'm, I couldn't even get into that like they were because I was so concerned more about how we were going to impact the community. I wanted to know how we were going to get people into Christ Jesus. The dedication, I enjoyed it for all of seven minutes. Everybody was excited about the dedication. I was, I was, my mind was 15 steps ahead on how are we going to make impact into this new community and introduce them to Christ Jesus. I think people, when they divorce it from a kingdom concept, everything becomes a major problem or everything becomes a major discussion that are actually in the category of a minor. So I think Matthew 28 is a great text that is underappreciated. I think it's a kingdom passage. The reason I believe it's a kingdom passage is because in verse 18, he begins with the idea, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And I believe that is a kingdom notion that Jesus Christ as risen savior embraces all authority. And based on that authority, he provides us with a kingdom expansion view or a kingdom expansion goal. Um, it's a great text, but it's underappreciated. It's th those who have studied this passage sometimes put the emphasis in the wrong place. Uh, some put the emphasis on go. So we, it, when, you, when people have preached Matthew 28, then go becomes the big concept. Go, into, therefore, and make disciples. Or if you are a restoration of a restoration mindset, as you know, we believe in the importance of baptizing. 
And so some people say, go ye therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing. And we put the emphasis on baptizing. It just depends on where, where you are. Um, if you're trying to get your church not to be lazy, it's go, uh, you know. And then if it's the restoration comes, it's baptizing, right? And then in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But if you're into the education ministry, then you say teaching them. You, you, just depends on where you want to place emphasis. I'm a proponent of authorial intent. Uh, what I mean by authorial intent, I believe that if you're going to interpret a passage, you try to do it as close to the author's intent as you possibly can. And you try to make sure you follow the thought of the passage. So without making this too much of a grammatical study, the main verb in this text is actually make disciples. If you read another translation, another translation says, go ye therefore and teach. Teach is actually the wrong translation. Make disciples would be the better translation. That would be the leading verb. Your goal, your baptizing, your teaching are the participles. They modify the main verb. That main verb is make disciples. That is the main concept in this text. Jesus is saying that if you want to know my main idea, it is make disciples. Watch the expansion concept. Make disciples of all nations. So whatever Jesus is talking about, his kingdom expansion concept, the object of it is nations. His desire is for nations to become disciples. All right. So he says, make disciples, main verb, of all nations. That's the subject. How do you want us to do it, Jesus? Baptizing them. Them is the pronoun that goes back to its nearest antecedent, and its nearest antecedent is nations. So the them is actually the nations. Jesus' desire is for nations to become disciples through the method of baptizing them. Does that make sense? So what you don't want to do is put the emphasis in the wrong place. So the idea of making disciples has a redemptive focus here. The redemptive focus of making disciples is that we're making disciples, which has everything to do with salvation. How do we do it? Well, before you get to how you do it, who are we doing this for? You're making disciples of all nations. That's the scope of what he wants us to do. And the method is he wants us to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, the preposition in is really into, uh, into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which has the connotation of being baptized into the possession of the Godhead. So this was a Greek commercial phrase that was often used in Greek antiquity. Whenever something was said to be in the possession of, it was the notion of ownership. They would buy something and say, when they purchased that thing, they would purchase it and say, this thing is now in the name of this person. It means that person has ownership. Jesus takes that concept in Matthew 28 and he says, really what I'm looking for is to gain ownership of the nations. I need you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the possession of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you don't do that, it's a disrespect to my authority. Verse 18, he says, all authority has been given unto me. I am sovereign king and based on the sovereignty of my authority, I'm telling you to do this kingdom expansion. And the way I want you to do this expansion is make disciples of all nations. And the way you do it is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's the kingdom expansion concept. Now, I believe wholeheartedly if that's the kingdom expansion concept, then it would be dangerous for us to become programmatic and divorce our programs and everything we do from that concept. Right now, if that's if that's not what we're doing, then what we have done is we've reduced the church into something that is not. And we've made it something that is fitting our intentions and not God's. So God is actually not that impressed with your youth ministry if your youth ministry doesn't accomplish that. I don't believe God is that impressed with your 
with whatever ministry you're doing if it doesn't have within it a concept of trying to expand the borders of the kingdom. I think it's dangerous. That, now, you can disagree with that. I'm right since I'm up here, though. Um, so since I'm up here, I'm right. Uh, you're going to have to accept that. I'm right. You're wrong. Um, but that I believe that everything needs to be attached to the kingdom expansion concept. And kingdom expansion, I think, happens in two ways. I think one is you're bringing people into the kingdom of God under his sovereignty, and then you're helping them develop as citizens of the kingdom. So you have a quantitative growth and a qualitative growth that happens with the kingdom concept. Does that make sense? All right. Um, so if you look at the kingdom, seeing the kingdom concept in the book of Acts, uh, you see this numerical emphasis in the book of Acts. Some of us ignore it, but it's there. I believe God is interested in numerical growth as well as qualitative growth. But you do see in the book of Acts this emphasis on kingdom expansion. In Acts 1-8, there is a geographical plan of Jesus Christ when he expressed to the disciples, you shall be my witnesses both in, Jeru in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts interpretively can be celebrated according to these geographical locations. You actually see the gospel moving in the book of Acts through these geographical locations where Jesus is taking territory. He is actually expanding the kingdom of God. And you'll find where there is a numerical emphasis. So in Acts 2.47, um, back in my younger day of preaching the, the church in, in the context of uh, in, in, in African-American churches of Christ, there has been a tremendous emphasis on preaching the church. Um, and you preach the church. And Acts 2.47 was one of the proof texts we would use about preaching the church. I am actually not much of a proponent of preaching the church as much as I believe in preaching Christ, and I believe if you preach Christ, you become the church. That's more of, of what I believe today. Um, but back then, you were supposed to preach the church, and you're supposed to convert people to the church, and I always had a problem with that, because if you convert people to church, what do they know about the Christ? I think you need to convert people to the Christ. They become the church. I don't think you put the church before the Christ. But Acts 2.47 became one of those things where we emphasize, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. We put an emphasis there, only to find out that the word church is actually not the word in that text in the original language. It actually is better translated, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the number. Now, it's interesting. I believe whenever the Holy Spirit chooses a word, he chooses a word on purpose. So he, when he says he was added, they were added to the number, there is an emphasis there on numerical growth. There is an emphasis there on the expansion of the kingdom of God. By the time you get to Acts 4, it says the number became 5,000, and then Acts 6, the number multiplied. You can see a very clear concept that the kingdom of God is expanding. I believe we need to put as much emphasis on numbers as the New Testament did. So I don't think numbers should be belittled. I believe numbers are important, but I don't believe numbers should be um, uh, I don't believe numbers should be divorced from qualitative growth. And I don't believe you should compete with other churches about numbers. I just think your intent needs to be getting as many people into Christ as you possibly can get, whatever that looks like in your context. Okay. So if, if you growing means 10 to 20, then praise God, you're growing the church. If it means 100 to 300, praise God. I think we have to be mindful that we don't control the increase God does. So if God controls the increase, we are going after numbers, but we know God is the one that causes the growth. So there's an emphasis on a kingdom concept where kingdom expansion needs to be an emphasis. All right. This was even true in the days of the Apostle Paul, where his mission was articulated 
in Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by me. In other words, you can see that our mission here is to bring people out of the domain of Satan and into the sovereignty of Christ Jesus. If you couple that with Colossians 1.13, Colossians 1.13 says he has translated us out of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. So we need to see that as a mission and we need to see that as important to our growth and our development. You can see the kingdom concept all through the epistles. I'm just trying to show you how the concept of kingdom is so dominant. It is amazing how we build our theology on the words in the New Testament that are used the least and ignore the words that are used the most. So it's interesting how we put emphasis on church, but the word church is used less than the word kingdom. And I think what we do is we end up making people have a misemphasis on the wrong thing when we don't emphasize the words that are emphasized most. For instance, we emphasize the word Christian used three times in the New Testament, but the word disciple is used so much more. So we help our people to embrace the name Christian, but they miss the fact that as a disciple, you have a master. And I think we need to make sure that we are get putting emphasis where the New Testament has, has placed emphasis. All right. Unbelievably, I am almost done. I was laughing at Bill. Uh, Bill says he listens to my sermons while he works out. And he says, the only problem I'm having, Orpheus, is that by the time my workout is over, your sermon is still going on. And um, he, he, he makes fun of the length of my sermons. But you would be surprised, Bill, that I'm almost done. Really, this is... Uh, if you put uh, an African-American preacher behind a microphone, you have to pack a lunch if you come to our church. It's going to be a lot. It's, yeah, I understand that uh, you all may not be used to that, but uh, when Doug Crozier came to our church and Russell, we warned them early. Now, just relax, because this, this is, uh, we will not be out of here in one hour. This is, this is about a three-hour stretch, praise God. Uh, my sermon after 30 minutes means I finish my introduction and, and, and then I get started. Colossians 1, 12 through 13. These are verses you know, so I'm not going to do any exegetical work with these. We are rescued from darkness and we're translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Revelation 1, 5 through 6. We're released from sin to be a kingdom. Revelation 5, 9 through 10. We are, God has made us a kingdom of all nations. There is this emphasis on a kingdom concept. And if there's an emphasis on kingdom concept, I believe that our congregations need to make sure that as we move forward programmatically, as we create events, as we create whatever it is we're trying to accomplish, you do not divorce it from the dominant concept of God's interest of expanding territory. That is what we do. We can't get to the place where we think we do something other than what we do. I think every great business needs to know its product. And if you know your product well, you need to know what you're selling. And what we sell is gospel. And what we offer is gospel. What we offer is salvation. And we need to make sure everything we do undergirds that. Um, and God will send you what you need to make that a reality. Philippians 1.27, we are asked to behave as citizens of the kingdom. So what am I exactly trying to accomplish here? Um, I believe uh, we need to shape the church to embrace a kingdom mindset so that the people of God will undergird their activity with a divine purpose. We need to ask questions regarding the purpose behind programs. So when we start talking about implementing a program, 
We need to ask the question about that program. Does it fit a divine purpose? How does it help to facilitate a kingdom agenda? If it's not doing that, then you need to rethink whether that program actually needs to be something we put money into. Does it actually work for a kingdom program? So my staff at West End, we meet every Sunday morning uh, for about an hour and a half, and they bring new programs to the table. And the conversation is about programs, but they already know what my questions are going to be. They already understand there's a paradigm that it has to fit. So don't bring me a program about a young adult thing that you're doing if I don't see within it, within the fabric and tapestry of the plan, if I don't see the notion of a kingdom agenda, then that program often will not fly because I need to see God in that program. Whether it's qualitative growth, Christian ethics, or whether it's territorial growth, all right? And I believe God will bless those kinds of programs. Allow programs to be an outgrowth of purpose rather than force purpose to fit our programs. So sometimes we'll create a program and then try to make God fit what we're trying to do. Think it needs to be the other way around. Look at your purpose first and then make sure whatever you do is an outgrowth of purpose. Shape it that way. And I believe God will do mighty things to bless that kind of effort. I'm a witness that God is able to, to do that. Um, the first day we entered the building, uh, I had been praying about how do we make impact in this new community, this new arena? How do we need the right, we need a window to get into the community. We're new, we've been handing out flyers, we have been targeting people on Facebook, we have been targeting communities on Facebook, we've been using all of this technology to try to make sure people knew we were there, uh, but we needed, we needed an outlet, somewhere, somebody who can introduce us to the right streams to step in to make sure we can make impact. Lo and behold, preached the gospel that first Sunday, um, had a great time, and this young lady stepped forward her name was Kamalitha Gums, and we had met with her before, and she happened to be the city councilwoman over District 2 of, of the city of South Fulton, and she was over the area where our church building is located. So anything that we do in that city has to go through her and approved by her. Well, she came that Sunday morning just to support our first move in because she heard we was coming. She wanted to be acquainted. I don't remember what I preached, but whatever I preached, it was the gospel. I don't preach much of anything else. Um, it's just, as my mentor once told me, he says, the gospel of Jesus Christ is something you preach. And if you want to keep it fresh, you just wrap it in new wrapping paper. You don't change the gift. Keep the gift the same. Just put new wrapping paper on it. So every Sunday, it's a gospel message from a different angle. But she came she, and she, after she heard the message, she came forward. I thought she was coming forward to express her appreciation. She said, I'm coming forward to give my life to Christ Jesus. She was baptized that morning. Um, and when she got baptized and became a part of our church family, ever since that day, whenever there is a major community event, outlet, issue, crisis, the first people she contacts is her church home. And she makes sure that we're always on the front line of anything going on in that community. God will bless you with the right people at the right time through his providence when you are dedicated to his purpose and to his kingdom agenda. And so I leave you with the encouragement 
that as you build your congregations, as we build churches, as we minister to people, make sure that as we shape the work of the congregations, that we don't miss God's kingdom agenda, that we don't suspend a kingdom mindset, that we don't hide the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we don't become ashamed of the good news of the message we offer, that we are not trying to sell something other than the preeminence of sovereign Jesus that's able to change the lives and the very tapestry of people's relationship with God. Let's not become those kind of churches that are ashamed and that we try to become so secular that we hide our spirit. So thank God, I appreciate each of you. I hope this has been a blessing to you and may we take more territory for King Jesus.